morning. Uh, welcome those in the auditorium, those watching online. Uh, just kind of a quick announcement. I want to make you aware of Praise on the Patio. That's happening April the 1st. Not a joke. Um, at 7 o'clock, uh, just here at Central Campus. Um, we're going to put, uh, the band's going to be outside, and we're going to kind of enjoy the sunset and have some uh, singing uh, praise and hymns and kind of preparing our hearts for Easter. And it's family-friendly, so bring the kids along and uh, just enjoy that evening. If you'd like, Friday, April the 1st at 7 o'clock. That'd be, that'd be great. So, Lord, thank you so much for these wonderful folks and uh, having the moment with them. And, Lord, we come every week with expectation that you're going to do something new and fresh in our lives and maybe even new and fresh in our community. And so uh, we're doing our best to come this morning with open hands and asking you to take whatever we carry, whatever we have with us, and receive it. And, um, Lord, in order for that great work to take place, we need to hear from you. And so, so important, Lord, hide me deep, deep in your cross and let your spirit speak freely today, we ask in your name. Amen. So uh, just kind of uh, getting toward the end of our Abundant Life series or the Once Upon a Time series. And I was thinking about when I was writing this week that probably the driving question, at least initially on this whole series, uh, would be this, uh, would be, is this the life that I wanted? And it's, it's probably a pretty good conversation starter with anybody that you have an opportunity to be with and that you're just trying to go a little deeper in the relationship. Is, is this a life that I've wanted or, or not? And, and for some, the answer to that question may be an outright yes. Or for others, it may be an outright no. It's very clear to you. This is the life that I was hoping for or this isn't the life at all that I really wanted. And, and, so, that, and so that's kind of clear. And, and, but I expect for a good many of us, the answer to that question would be more like, kind of, you know, not a real clear yes and not a real clear no. Like there's parts of it that we'd say are great and there's parts of us that would say, eh, you know, maybe not so good. You know, we'd kind of feel that way. And, and, and what I've learned is we've kind of been through this whole process of, of looking at this life, this abundant life idea is, is that it's that part, the part that we've kind of settled in that, is, that, that God is asking for. It's the part of us that we would say, eh, kind of, that, we, that, that God is asking for in this moment. And as I interact with people, see if you agree with this, I think it's almost immediately evident of whether or not they've settled or an area of their life that they have settled in. And you can tell it almost right away where they sort of put up a white flag in this area and said, well, this is just what's going to be. And, and they've settled there. And it has, doesn't have anything to do with how much money they have or don't have, doesn't have to do with their, you know, influential or non-influential, if they out, work outside the home, work, it has nothing to do with any of those things. It's just that they've, they've settled and, and they've settled in kind of uh, the, the person that they, the way they see themselves, they just settled. This is just who I am. And usually it's a, when they settled, it's a, it's a thing that they beat themselves up with, how they see themselves or, or it, maybe they've settled in their professions and saying, okay, I'm just here to earn the dime. And when it's all said and done, I'll have enough dimes and I'll retire well. And they've settled there, or maybe they've settled in relationships, you know, this is the way my relationship with my kids going to be, my relationship with my friends, my relationship with my spouse. This is just the way it's going to be. And their favorite saying, you know, if they got tattooed would be, it is what it is. You know, I've just settled. I'm just settled in this area. And, and some have even settled in their walk with God. And, and there's no intentionality in how they relate to God. There's no seeking to use the spiritual gifts God has given them in all the environments of their lives. There's no personal spiritual disciplines. Uh, they just take whatever's offered on a Sunday and, and with no plans of ever applying it on Monday. They're just kind of, they have faith. They just don't exercise the faith. And, and the reason I'm so insightful on all of that is I actually lived that kind of faith for a long time. 
It was part of my life. Faith was a part of me, but it really wasn't a vital part of me. It was an area of my life that I had settled. And that settling had impacted all kinds of areas of my life, including my relationships, the way I saw myself, and certainly the way I saw God. In fact, in that stage of my life, if you removed faith in God from my life, there probably wouldn't be a big difference because God was primarily something I expected to use when I left this life. But it really wasn't part of my ongoing situation here in this life. And until then, God was present. I just don't think God was major. And I know a lot of people who are walking around with faith, a settled faith, kind of like that. I was comfortable doing what I wanted to do, making fun of those who were chasing God with any kind of fervor. And I saw that as a complete waste of time. And then what I found myself doing, <laughs> sharing with you more than I should probably, but what I found myself doing is I actually found myself making fun of hypocrites in the church because I realized if I could make them look less, I wouldn't feel as bad about myself. Typical, right? And so I'd say, oh, there's a church is full of hypocrites, you know, and then I realized I was actually being hypocritical. And I'll tell you why. Because I said I believed in God. I just didn't believe what God said. Do you follow? And that's the ultimate hypocrisy. So yeah, I believe in God. I just don't believe what he said. And these were part of the words that absolutely turned me around. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And man, when that truth settles on you, that these aren't just words that Tom throws up on a screen on a Sunday morning. These are actually words of the Son of God. These are actually Jesus' words and his promise of what kind of life to bring us. And it changes the question we use to interpret this whole series. Because the opening question was, is this the life I've always wanted? But now it changes, and this is the question, is this the life that God wants for me? All the different parts of my life, the places where I've settled, the places where I've compromised, is this the life that God wants for me? And in light of those words of abundant life, it's like, no, no, it's not. And so we've been trying to break it down to see exactly what, what Jesus meant by the abundant life. And we've come up with kind of these different components. First is the compelling vision. We started with this one and Many of us skipped this step, and so the series has kind of meandered for us, but it's not too late to go back and clarify, and I asked you to finish the sentence, I exist too, dot, dot, dot. Why are you still breathing? I mean, if you truly believe God created you with a purpose and intentionality, why did he make you? I mean, you know, when God was on his front porch drinking lemonade and he thought up Tom, what did he have in mind for Tom to do? That's what that first compelling vision, I exist to, to do this. And then relentless conviction in a culture that says you can't have strong convictions about anything. Scripture in the abundant life says, yes, you can. You can have strong convictions about what is true and what is right and what is wrong. That's part of a compelling vision. When you have a compelling vision of why you exist, you will have relentless conviction that will, that will support that. Then it will come to courageous action every time. Just hear me on this, every time. If you've been engaged in a series and there's abundant life things kind of gnawing around inside of you, God will come knocking and he will come knocking asking for you to take a courageous action of some kind and you will decide yes or no in, in that moment. And then you'll have an anointed authority. And what we mean by that is part of the abundant life is you understand that you have a calling on your life, that compelling vision, and you have a connection to the one to make it possible. Connection to the one that gives you that authority. And then last week we talked about confident humility where we avoid the ditch of smallness, which says nobody gets a trophy, and the ditch of bigness, which says everybody gets a trophy, and we try to walk in the middle. 
as people following Jesus. So that's kind of where we've been. And these are all parts to a great story. In fact, probably could have ended the series last week, but, but, but there's one thing that's sort of missing. If we checked out right now and just read a story of featuring all those things, we would all say, man, that, those are, that's an amazing person. That's an amazing life. If I'm dead and y'all come to a funeral and they go through those parts of Tom's life, you think, man, Tom lived a great life. And, and you would feel that. You would, you, would, you would celebrate that. But we're not quite finished. And, and I want to start today's topic by giving you sort of an illustration. Um, some of y'all are like are old, like me. And I can tell that because, you know, you're having a hard time staying awake right now. You're the people I'm talking to, okay? So you, you people. So do y'all remember, you old people, do you remember Westerns? And do you remember when they were cool? Like now you can't like say you watch them. I do. But you, you can't say you watch them because they're not, not, not politically correct. But my dad loves Westerns. I mean, if there's a Western on TV, I mean, we're going to watch it. And so as a kid, I would always climb up beside him. If dad's watching, I love my dad. We'll watch Westerns together. And, and I found myself just loving, loving the Western idea. And so uh, if you're not familiar, here, here's how this goes. Um, what will happen inevitably in any good Western movie is that our heroes are going to get pinned down. It's going to happen. They're going to be stuck in a canyon. They're going to be stuck in a, uh, a place that you drink a lot. They're going to be stuck. Uh, they're going to like circle the wagons, you know, they're going to be like, uh, like in a fort and the, and the, and the gate's going to be on fire and they're going to be like fighting to hold or to defend or whatever. And the bad guys are going to be like closing in on them and they're going to be whipping around the circle of wagon things and they're going to be shooting and all these kinds of stuff. And often what would happen just to add drama is the leading man or the leading woman would have a gunshot wound which back then it was okay, but now it's not. But back then it was okay. So it was like, oh man, everything's, everything's going bad. And then they, they stick to like the last bullet and they're like a little Winchester and they, you know, that kind of thing. And they like aim for one more shot. Like, oh man, we're, it's toast, it's toast. You know, everybody's gonna die. And then the very last moment when you think all hope is lost, like these trumpets would sound. All the old people with me? Yeah, I know, y'all feel it, right? The trumpets would sound because you know who's coming? The Calvary's coming. That's exactly right. Closest thing to the name men I've ever got from a lot. So the Calvary was coming. And, and that's exactly right. So dust flying and horses snarling and hats bending and bullets firing. And then in Western movies, the Calvary was soldiers riding on horses and they would come just ablazing. Someone would even cry out in the midst of all the turmoil and the loss. Here comes the cavalry, you know, and everything's going to be wonderful. Or, or maybe some general will be sitting on a hill and he'd just say, send in the cavalry. Like, oh, somebody open the can because it's getting ready to happen right now in the Western movie. They're, that's amazing. It's amazing. We should, we should bring them back. So, amen. Let's have communion together. <laughs> Well, we're looking at, the, at, the, at Jesus and the desire to live a life like Jesus lived in this abundant life peace. And, and if we quit here, there is this blaring omission from the life that Jesus came to bring and that Jesus described and, and that he lived. And it has to do a little bit with this. You don't live the abundant life alone. It comes with a Calvary of sorts. We'll call it strategic relationships for our purposes. Perhaps the best news of the abundant life is nobody does it alone. Perhaps the worst news of the abundant life is nobody does it alone. 
Relationships are tough. They can be good. They can be bad. And good relationships are described with words like trust and respect and vulnerability and open communication. And and bad relationships are characterized by inconsistency and manipulation and disrespect and distrust and on and on. But here's what we we have to acknowledge. (laughs) Even the good ones aren't perfect, right? And, And do you know why they're not perfect? Because you're in them. That, that's the problem. So turn to your neighbor. It said, because of you. Go ahead, tell them. Tell your neighbor, because of you. That's why this isn't perfect. It was just up to me. It'd be fine, Lisa. She's not in the service. It's just, it's, 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 it's because of you. So uh, all relationships kind of have that moment. And, and, and when you have these things that are not perfect and you have elements of good and bad in the same, same thing, it feels risky, And there's this temptation because all relationships bring with them this element of risk. And we all know it firsthand. If we could sit around a giant cup of coffee together, we could no doubt share the greatest pain of our lives. And it would probably start with a relationship. Some relationship produced some level of pain for all of us. I think it's one of the things that unites the human race. And as a result of being burned in a relationship or experiencing a bad relationship, we all have this temptation, some of which some of us have given into. And the temptation is to do away with relationships. If we're honest, one of the greatest pains that unites us is that temptation right there, because there's always a risk when you reach for something beautiful. And relationships as God intended them are beautiful. We all have experienced this, but relationships have this, and abundant life relationships have this intentionality to them. And that's what I want to draw the distinction today. And that's why we refer to them as strategic. Strategic means relating to the identification of long-term or overall aims and interest and, and interest and the means of, of achieving them. Basically what that's saying is this, um, strategic relationships are on purpose. There's an intentionality to them. It's not something that just happened. There is a design to these relationships. So let me place this in the context uh, of the abundant life. As we consider this abundant life, and if you've been tracking with me and you're thinking, this may be something I want to follow, we, we've identified this compelling vision that God has placed on our lives and think, God has given us, this is why I exist, you know, to, to end the battle for each other's souls or, or whatever it is you've come up with. And if you've done this, it is so clarifying Because if you're convinced you know why you're here and what God has for you, everything changes to accomplish what God has for you. Do you understand what I just said? Because I'm not sure I did. Like, if we have this, this compelling vision and we're clear on it, well, then everything has to be interpreted now through that. So the defining question we have to ask ourselves as people seeking the abundant life is this, does this relationship align with and serve the God-given mission for my life? Friends, this is the relentless conviction, courageous action piece for some of us. Does this relationship, whatever it is, serve the God-given mission for my life? So in my uh, first full-time ministry appointment or whatever, um, I, I was fresh out of seminary and um, working with a great mentoring pastor. And so, uh, you know, there are two weeks and he and I decided we're going to go out and play around a round of golf. And man, we get to like the third hole. We're on the tee box at the third hole. And um, 
I just turned to him. I said, hey, George, um, you know, I'm just getting started in ministry. Would you give me some advice? Tell me what you wish you would have known when you were at my stage of ministry. And, and I had like that paper and pen out, you know, and I was thinking I'm going to write all this down. And, and I don't know what I was expecting. I mean, because he was like a, sp- I was like a sponge. I was soaking up everything he said. And, and he was my sensei, my, my ministry, Mr. Miyagi, you know what I'm saying? He was, he was that guy for me and meant the world to me. And, and so I asked him, what would you, what would you say? And I don't know what I was expecting. I thought maybe he said, like, fall deeply in love with God and he'll use you in mighty ways. I was going, oh, I'll write that down. Or, you know, I was like, avoid children's ministry at all costs. You know, I thought maybe I'll write that down, you know, or, or memorize the book of Nehemiah, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. Or, or pray for four hours a day, take a lunch and then pray for four more. A- anything. I mean, I was ready for anything. And, and what he said was actually so disappointing in the moment. And you're going to be disappointed here with me in a moment. But it was actually some of the best advice I think I've ever received in preparation for ministry. But not just that, but for life. He said this, everybody's going to want a piece of you, Tom. You have to choose who gets a piece of you. Now, I was fresh out of seminary. Nobody wanted a piece of me. <clears throat> When's the last time? Oh, if I could just sit down with a guy fresh out of seminary, it changed my life. You know, it's not going to happen. It's not, nobody feels that way. It was difficult to comprehend at that point in life. But as, as I reflect back, you know, now over 30 years, I realized that my mentor was right. And I realized it's true for life. It's true for your life. Everybody's going to want a piece of you. You just have to decide who's actually going to get a piece of you. And here's why. All relationships cost us something. Every one of them. All relationships cost us something. And here's the second part. My time, your time, and energies are finite. So every relationship will negate the opportunity for something else. Every relationship we have costs us something. And every relationship that we have will negate the opportunity to something else. I have some great friends in our church. I don't have friends with, I'm not friends with everybody in our church because I just don't have the ability. Do you, do you track? It's not that one is bad or another. It's just that something negates something else. Every relationship costs you something. And so you end up having to strategically <clears throat> choose <clears throat> where and, and where not to point your limited time, energies, and attention. <clears throat> this life, what we learned is it's a mission. There's a purpose to your existence. You're not here just to like end well. There's a purpose to why you're actually engaged in this life. Therefore, the question we ask ourselves, does this relationship, every one of them, does this relationship align with and serve the God-given compelling vision for my life? And I'll show this to you now in the life of Jesus. And I would, <clears throat> I would say that, you know, you can decide for yourself, but I would say there's kind of two compelling visions that, that rule Jesus' life. The first one you'll agree with, the second one I'm not, I don't know, so we'll see. Here's the first one. The compelling vision in Jesus' life was actually the cross. In other words, <clears throat> Jesus knew that he, he was here to show us who God is and, and how to relate to God and, and make, it re- make us so we can relate to God. He did that through the cross. He removed sin and guilt and shame and, and condemnation. That was part of what Jesus did. And we celebrate that when we, when we uh, receive Jesus as Savior. That was his first kind of compelling vision for his life. But here is the second one, and it's crucial, just as crucial to his mission. It was this. Compelling vision in Jesus' life was investing in and preparing a small group of people to carry on the mission. And that's the part that's sort of wrecking me this day. 
This group who were part of the strategic relationships in Jesus's life would then take the mission to the ends of the earth. As significant as what Jesus did on the cross was and is, if there was, if the, if the group of people surrounding him, if he hadn't invested in those strategic relationships, we would have had something awesome that happened and nobody knew. But as a result of these compelling relationships, as a result of these strategic relationships, a lives here. <clears throat> and every other church we grew up in is here, result of these 12, 11 people who, who Jesus invested in. I mean, he did some great things with his life. He fed hungry people, but that wasn't the primary reason he came. He healed people, but that wasn't the primary reason he came. The goal wasn't to have well-fed people go to hell. You know, the goal wasn't to go heal everybody. It's so only healthy people went to hell. If that's what he accomplished, his whole life would have been a colossal failure. But Jesus strategically, I've never been so challenged by this in my life, but he strategically, intentionally provided a way for sin and condemnation to be removed. And then he invested in a group, in a relationships to carry on that mission. And that's rocking my world. And Peter was one of the earliest followers of Jesus. Um, he's... <laughs> He's like the hothead. I, I'm, I live in, in Six Mile, so he grew up in Six Mile, if you're familiar with what I'm saying right now, okay? He's like a redneck, uh, lifted truck, PBR kind of guy. That, 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 if, that's, if that offends you in Six Mile, you should move because that's really who we are. I mean, that's just kind of, that's, that's, that's true. Come on now. Uh, so, and Peter was that guy. I mean, he's just like, he's like a hothead. He's a fisherman, but he wasn't very good. I mean, anytime you see scripture, Peter's a fisherman, he's not catching fish. It always says that Peter couldn't catch a fish. I mean, that's what scripture says. There's one time he caught a whole lot of fish and he was with some people and Jesus was involved. But other than that, he really didn't catch a lot of fish. So Jesus shows up one day and he says to Peter, he says, hey, um, I, I want you to come with me and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Well, Peter's life is going nowhere. So he said, okay. I don't think he had a clue what it was. I don't think he had any idea. He just said, okay, I'll go with you. And he does. As Peter followed Jesus for three years and they shared a meal and they slept by campfires and um, saw him heal people and he managed crowds and all these things he did for Jesus, Jesus invested in Peter over and over and over again. In fact, oftentimes in scripture, you'll hear Jesus do a teaching to the whole crowd and once the crowd goes away, he'll get his disciples around and say, okay, here's what that means. You remember? All through the pages of scripture. So Jesus uh, is talking to his disciples one day, and he says, they ask this question. He says, who do people say the son of man is, is the question they ask. And the, the disciples replied, some say that you're John the Baptist, um, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, oh, that's what the crowd says. And then he says to the, to the strategic investments, strategic relationship, who do y'all say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And I think in this moment, Jesus got super emotional. I don't, because he'd never heard it before. He'd never heard it from somewhere else. Peter proclaims, you're, you're Jesus Christ. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is wrecked. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this wasn't revealed to you by man. Just check this out, because this is another reason I think Jesus was wrecked. Because this is the first time in scripture, New Testament, where we have someone who hears from the Father. Do you see? Because the Holy Spirit's not right here now, not, not, not involved in this way. The Holy Spirit's still on individuals like the Old Testament. And Jesus says to him, this you heard just from the Father 
this wasn't revealed to you by man, but my father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I, I, got, I like the translation says the gates of hell will not overcome it, but I don't know why they put Hades in there. So that's what it is. Now, this is amazing. Peter says, I know who you are. You're the Christ, the Messiah. You're the anointed one. And you're providing a way for the world to connect to God. Jesus is like, yes, you get it, Peter. And this statement you just made will be the foundation of the church, Peter. And I'm going to do this all through you. Strategic relationships. I'm going to do this all through you because Jesus knows what's coming. Peter's going to preach the first sermon that sparks the New Testament church and eventually gives birth to a live. Peter's going to spark that thing. And in that moment when Peter gives that message, the Holy Spirit is now going to fall. He's to teach his disciples like, this is great. We're all getting it together. I'm just rocking. I'm going to build my church. It's going to be fantastic. And then Jesus says, well, it's going to get a bit rough from here because we're going to head to Jerusalem and I'm going to have to suffer there. And eventually I'm going to die. And Jesus knows this is his compelling vision is going to lead to this. This is what's going to happen. It's going to lead to courageous, tough, difficult actions. And as Jesus shared this, Peter, who's feeling pretty good about himself. Did y'all hear that? Up on this rock. <laughs> y'all start calling me Rocky. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I wanted y'all to call me. I got the gold star for the day kind of idea. You know, that's what everybody's thinking. That's what Peter's thinking. He's like, disciples, did y'all hear what he said? You know he did it. You know he did it because that, that's what I would do. So then, I'm sure he did it. <laughs> he says, Peter's feeling good about himself. Jesus says, oh, it's going to get bad. And so Peter rebukes Jesus. Just write this down if you're a note taker. Don't ever rebuke God. That's not a good plan for you. That's a bad plan, okay? This is going to blow up in your face. I promise you. You don't need to correct God. He's okay. He doesn't need your opinion. But anyway, Peter decides to do it. Peter pulls him aside, says, hey, you know, this doesn't really sell well with the people we're trying to get here because Peter didn't have a clue. He had a moment, but he didn't have a clue. And so this isn't selling well. And so he says, never, Jesus, this shall never happen to you because I am Rocky. Dun, 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 dun. You know, I'm Rocky. You know, this isn't going to happen to you. I'm the rock, you know. This isn't how you should accomplish your compelling vision, Jesus. This isn't what we're going to do together. I came up with the terminology, Jesus. This is not how this is going to play out. Check this out. Jesus turned to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Next sentence. It's the next sentence, people. You're my rock. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You're a rock, and now you're a Lego. You stepped on in the middle of the night, you know. You do not have in mind the things of God but the things of man. You heard this from the Father, but this is not from the Father. You didn't hear this from men. This is from men. Do you see? These words of Jesus will never make sense to someone outside the abundant life because Jesus comes off looking temperamental. But if you have a compelling vision for your life, that's a big if to everybody listening to the sound of my voice. But if you have a compelling vision for your life, and if you believe your life is here for purpose, then of course this makes sense. 
Of course it makes sense. The work ahead of us now is to be strategic in our relationships and what that looks like from this point forward. Jesus says to Peter, you have no idea. You know what we do in this situation? We don't say anything. Probably. We'll just let you do you. Not Jesus. Because the work was too important. So I just have like these two takeaways for me where I am right now in this. I don't have a bow on this, but I have a couple of things that I just want to share with you for your processing in light of the discussion. And that's this. Here's the first one. Uh, I think one thing I take away from the Jesus and Peter relationship is don't get discouraged by people who are still discovering the abundant life. You know anybody like that? Me neither. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about those people who just don't get it. They just don't get you. They just don't get what God is doing in you. And there's this temptation to get discouraged there. Sound familiar? Anybody have a spouse who doesn't get them? Kids that don't get you? Friends that aren't getting you? Your old friend group, new friend group? They're like, what in the world? Why are you even, why are you even involved there? Why are you doing that? Jesus knew not only that Peter would abandon him in short order, he knew that the 12 disciples would abandon him in short order. He knew that one of the disciples would actually get paid for, for betraying him in short order. And then that same disciple would go up and eventually kill himself. Jesus knew all that stuff. But he also knew if he would strategically invest in those relationships, a day would come when that investment would change the world. And your New Testament, my New Testament, predominantly shaped by a guy named Peter and a guy named Paul. That's exactly what happens. A few weeks after this moment, this awkward exchange, (laughs) a few weeks after this moment, Peter is standing up in front of a hostile crowd. And that investment changes the world as he shares about what Jesus came to earth to do. He calls the people listening to his voice out for their sin. And people listen, repent, and the Holy Spirit falls on people for the first time. Change the world. That Acts 2 moment resulted in you people. The strategic relationships that Jesus invested in resulted in you people. It resulted in the gospel spreading across the world those 12 people who Jesus invested in and others. I have hopes, wants, and dreams for the people I choose to invest in in my life. I do. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. At least I hope not because I'm wrong then. But the moment that we make those hopes, wants, and dreams and expectations conditions for us to have a relationship with them, we're setting ourselves up for failure. This isn't a call to dump everything or everyone. This is a call to look through the abundant life lens at all of your relationships. If Jesus made his investment conditional, his mission would have never succeeded. Never would have happened. 
It is very tough to lead people you need. It is always a challenge. Jesus wanted them to follow. But what Jesus needed could only come from one source, and that's my principle number two from this discussion. Don't try to get from anyone what you can only get from God. The abundant life, friends, doesn't start in this relationship. It starts in this one. If God isn't the biggest relationship in your life, people will be. I'll say it again because I think this is spreading like a cancer in our culture. If God isn't the biggest relationship in your life, then people will be. He will be, she will be, they will be. What they think about you and your emotional well-being will rise and fall. What other people are thinking or saying or feeling. Every morning, I start my day in the one relationship that doesn't have conditions. Every time I crack open the scripture and I'm reading through my scripture, I know I'm accepted already. Do you understand? He's still strategically investing in me. And if I know I'm accepted there, then the rest of it is in its proper place. If God isn't the biggest relationship in your life, people will be. And what will happen is this. See if this isn't true. You will either experience a lifetime of disappointment or you will withdraw so you never get hurt again. And we all know people like that. It may be you. If you can't see it in yourself, I'm sure you can see it in someone else. And my tendency, just so you know, is to withdraw. I, I, at least it makes me go to work. I mean, I, I, <laughs> my, my tendency is to stay home and batten down the hatches and circle the wagons and pump one in the Winchester and just wait. You know, that's kind of that's my thing. And, and thankfully, most days I don't stay there. I wrote down in my notes that we can't give anyone or anything the power in your life that only comes from God in these strategic relationships. Lisa's wise words to me early on in our marriage, I mean, the first three years, she would always say, Tom, you have to make Jesus a central part of your identity, to which I very maturely said, you know, who cares? You know, I mean, what in the world? What's that mean? What does that even mean? What does that even mean? She was... She was right. But you know what's ironic about that? I see this in so many relationships. You know what I was trying to make the central part of my identity? Her. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. I mean, that would have been a good one, right? I mean, let's be honest. It would definitely help. But she's not big enough. I was never made for my identity to be on a person. My identity has to be on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And she was wise enough to see that early on. My priorities for the abundant life would have been out of whack if she was the central part. God has to be first in my life in order to love others well. That's the abundant life. I got an ending. I don't, I don't like my ending. <clears throat> I don't know if I'm going to like what I'm going to do anymore, but I'm just saying I'm going to try, okay? Um, so. You know, um, <laughs> one of the things that I'll hear a lot when I talk to other pastors or people come visit our church is uh, they'll talk about how unique our staff is as a church. Um, we have a lot of fun as a staff, uh, fun that we probably shouldn't have, but 
We do. <laughs> and, um, and we have a lot of good fun, a lot of great fun. And what I've, what I've learned is that one of the things I value, so, <laughs> oh boy. So Paul and I were talking this week uh, about, about uh, what comes next, you know, like succession plan. And I'm not going anywhere, just everybody relax. Or some of you are like, yeah, no, no, just relax. <laughs> but we're just thinking, you know, something like that needs to have some attention. So we just started brainstorming. Well, send me down this path, you know, my mind of like, wow, you know, this is going to be really weird. And I realized that one of the things that I will miss the most, if that, when that day comes in 20 years, one of the things I'll miss the most about that are the people that I do life with. Do you follow? Those strategic relationships that I do life with and that I am intentional, super, ask any one of them, we're super intentional about. And we use the model of a campfire and that I recognize that I've got one campfire and only so many people can sit around that campfire. There's only room for so many. And each of those people around that campfire, I have to have a strategic relationship with and vice versa. Does that make sense to you? So that you say, Tom, is there a vision for this person on staff? And I could say, oh, it chokes me up when you think about it. It's like, yes, let me tell you what I could see happening in that person's life. Let me tell you where I think they're going. Let me tell you what I think God's going to do with that person. As God is more fully realized in them, let me tell you where God's going to use them to change the world. I can tell that to all the staff, not all the staff sit around the campfire anymore. They're, they're bigger, but the, the ones that do. There is nothing more rich than that. And it starts in your relationship with Jesus. And from there, you can have relationships that can change the world. Isn't that incredible news? Was that ending okay? Use it the third one or not? I mean, I don't really know. I can't. <laughs> We'll just see what happens. Okay. Lord, uh, thank you for these people and just the honor to be with them. And uh, Lord, man, ha, the thought of a couple thousand people getting intentional about their relationships, being strategic with who they choose to surround themselves with. Lord, there's so many relationships that are just sideways energy. They're just distractions. They just don't lead anywhere. And it's so empty. And to realize that you've placed us here with purpose and intentionality, that changes everything for me. And so I pray for my friends that uh, you would identify for us relationships that maybe we should pursue, relationships we should walk away from, or relationships that maybe would require more intentionality for why we're together. And Lord, as a result, give us the abundant life. Give us the abundant life in your name. Amen.